0: Welcome to another episode of the Giants of the Faith podcast. My name is Robert Daniels, and I'm the host of this show. This is the podcast where we focus on individuals from the age of the church who've lived out their faith in a unique or interesting way. These are people who are giants in the history of Christendom, and each has earned a spot in my personal Christian Hall of Fame. In this episode, we're looking at the Nine Days Queen, Reformation martyr hero, Lady Jane Grey. She's of interest to us, not for her development of theology, or even her great historical impact, but for her commitment to the faith and her refusal to let go of the ideas of the Reformation, even in the face of death. Today, I'm happy to be joined by my lovely wife, Jennifer. She's been very supportive of this podcast, and I'm very excited to once again share the microphone with her.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm glad to be back.
0: Jane Gray was born in late 1536, or early 1537 or late 1537, maybe October. We just don't know when. She was born to parents Henry Gray, Duke of Suffolk, and Frances, a woman. She was the first of three daughters. She was great granddaughter to Henry VII and grandniece to Henry VIII.
1: Her upbringing was very strict, and she kicked against the goads. She viewed the strictness as unfair and unjust. In her own words, For when I am in the presence either of father or mother, whether I speak, keep silent, sit, stand, or go, eat, drink, be merry, or sad, by sewing, playing, dancing, or doing anything else, I must do it as if it were such a weight, measure and number, even so perfectly as God made the world. Or else I am so sharply taunted, so cruelly threatened, yea, presently sometimes with pinches, nips, and bobs, and other ways that I think myself in hell. She was an intelligent girl and was fluent in English, Greek, French, Italian, and Latin, and she could also read Hebrew. Her father, the Duke, was a Protestant, and so her tutors were as well. So that's how she was raised. She was tutored by the famous Catholic priest turned Protestant, Pastor Michelangelo Florio.
0: That's right. Florio is the one that taught her Latin and Italian, and even wrote a biography about her. The History of the Life and Death of the Illustrious Jane Grey. I wanted to read it as a source for this episode, but alas, it's in Italian.
1: I guess you're not as smart as you think you are. In February 1547, she went to live with Thomas Seymour, who was uncle to King Edward.
0: Ouch. Edward, actually Edward VI, became King of England and Ireland at age 9 in 1547 when Henry VIII died. Edward was the first English monarch to be raised Protestant, and he was Jane's cousin. Catherine Parr was Henry VIII's last wife, and she was the one lucky enough to outlive that jack wagon while they were still married. Thomas Seymour married Catherine secretly in March 1547.
1: So, for those keeping track, King Henry died in January, leaving Queen Catherine a widow and one of the wealthiest women in the world. Two months later, Thomas Seymour marries her. Does that seem quick to you? It did to a lot of people, and it was not a popular move. It was in the midst of all of that that Jane came to live with Thomas and Catherine.
0: Jane flourished in the Seymour Castle, and it was there that her faith came alive and became personal. Catherine had a strong faith, and she took an interest in Jane, and under her tutelage, Jane became a true believer. Jane even corresponded with reformers on the continent, including Heinrich Bullinger, who was one of the most influential 16th century reformers.
1: The happy time was short-lived, though, since Catherine died in September 1548 while giving birth. Jane served as the chief mourner at Catherine's funeral, and Thomas consented to keep her on in his household.
0: In January 1549, Thomas Seymour was caught trying to break into King Edward's quarters at night. He was found out when the king's dong started barking and Seymour shot the dog dead. Seymour had already been trying to stir up trouble and had been trying to gain power. We don't really know why Seymour was trying to break into the king's bedroom, but we do know it didn't work, and in March, Seymour was executed.
1: Jane's father was mixed up in the Seymour affair and was questioned four times in connection with it. He used his daughter to keep out of trouble, first trying to marry her off to Edward Seymour, Thomas's brother, and the man Thomas had been trying to undermine. That didn't work, but he did marry her off to John Dudley, Duke of Northumberland and the most powerful man in England. Jane and John married May twenty fifth, 1553.
0: Poor Jane. She was being used as a political token and it would ultimately cost her her life. King Edward was a sickly young man. That summer, as he lay dying, his advisors, which included Jane's husband, convinced him to change his will to name Jane and her male offspring as his legal successors. In the event he died, Jane was to become queen. Edward had a half-sister, Mary, who was a catholic and he was trying to keep her off the throne.
1: Edward died on July 6, 1553, but it was kept a secret for 4 days. On July 9th, Jane was informed that she was the queen. She immediately collapsed, crying and wailing. Nevertheless, she was named queen July 10th.
0: Meanwhile, Edward's sister Mary was building her own support, political and otherwise. On July 19th, the Privy Council which was not a gathering of janitors, but rather of political leaders, dropped support for Jane, and Mary was named queen. So Jane was queen for nine days.
1: This Mary would go on to be nicknamed Bloody Mary. She reigned for five years and had over 280 Protestants burned at the stake. She also has an alcoholic tomato drink named after her. As soon as Mary took over, Jane and her husband were arrested and taken to the Tower of London, which is really more of a fortress than a tower. Jane
0: and her husband were tried for treason on November 13, 1553. Both were found guilty and sentenced to death. Bloody Mary was of a mind to spare Jane's life until Jane's father was part of a rebellion against her. That sealed the deal. The execution was set for February 9th.
1: Bloody Mary postponed the execution by three days in hopes that she could get Jane to convert to Catholicism. To those ends, she sent her personal priest, John Feckenham, to win her over. Feckenham had no idea who he was up against. Feckenham and Gray talked long and intensely. Gray knew her Bible, and she believed the Reformation theology she had learned.
0: Jane wrote an account of those conversations, which became known as the Feckenham Debates, and were recorded in Fox's Book of Martyrs. Jennifer and I are going to read parts of the debate. First, on the doctrine of Sola Fide, Feckenham. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing.
1: Jane, true it is, for how can I love him in whom I trust not? Or how can I trust in him who I love not? Faith and love agreeeth both together, and yet love is comprehended in faith.
0: Feckenham, how shall we love our neighbor?
1: Jane, To love our neighbor is to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and give drink to the thirsty, and to do to him as we would do to ourselves.
0: Feckenham, why then it is necessary to salvation to do good works, and it is not sufficient to believe.
1: Jane, I deny that, and I affirm that faith only saves. But it is good for Christians, in token that they follow their Master Christ, to do good works. Yet may we not say that they profit to salvation. For although we have all done all that we can, yet we be unprofitable servants, and the faith only in Christ's blood saveth.
0: She roasted him, as our son would say. At the very least, she gave a cogent argument from a Protestant perspective of the gospel. The discussion then turned to the sacraments. The Catholics hold seven sacraments, baptism, Eucharist, confirmation, reconciliation, anointing of the sick, marriage, and holy orders, Thekenham. How many sacraments are there?
1: Jane. Two. The one the sacrament of baptism, and the other the sacrament of the Lord's Supper.
0: Theckenham. No, there are seven.
1: Jane. By what scripture find you that?
0: Theckenham. Well, we will talk of that hereafter. But what is signified by your two sacraments?
1: Jane. By the sacrament of baptism, I am washed with water and regenerated by the Spirit, And that washing is a token to me that I am the child of God. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper offered unto me is a sure seal and testimony that I am, by the blood of Christ, which he shed for me on the cross, made partaker of the everlasting kingdom.
0: Feckenham. why? What do you receive in that sacrament? Do you not receive the very body and blood of Christ?
1: Jane, no, surely I do not so believe. I think that at the supper I neither receive flesh nor blood, but bread and wine, which bread, when it is broken, and which wine, when it is drunken, putteth me in remembrance how that for my sins the body of Christ was broken, and the blood shed on the cross. And with that bread and wine I received the benefits that came by the breaking of his body, and the shedding of his blood for our sins on the cross.
0: Feckenham, why, doth not Christ speak these words? Take, eat. This is my body. Require you any plainer words? Doth he not say, It is his body?
1: Jane, I grant he saith so, and so he saith, I am the vine, I am the door. But he is never the more the door nor the vine. Doth not St. Paul say, He calleth things that are not, as though they were? God forbid that I should say that I eat the very natural body and blood of Christ. For either I should pluck away my redemption, or else there were two bodies, or two Christ. One body was tormented on the cross, and if they did eat another body, then he had two bodies. Or if his body were eaten, then it was not broken on the cross. Or if it were broken on the cross, it was not eaten of his disciples.
0: Let me interject here and say that I think the argument that Jane is making is fantastic. Jesus said, I am the vine but no one thinks he means he's literally made of a woody substance. Anyway, continuing as Feckenham, why, is it not as possible that Christ by his power could make his body both to be eaten and broken, and to be born of a woman without man, as to walk upon the sea having a body, and other such like miracles as he wrought by his power only?
1: Jane. Yes, verily. If God would have done at this supper any miracle, he might have done so. But I say that then he minded to work no miracle, but only to break his body and to shed his blood on the cross for our sins. But I pray you to answer me to this one question. Where was Christ when he said, take, eat, this is my body? Was he not at the table when he said so? He was at the time alive and suffered not till the next day. What took he but bread? What break he but bread? Look, what he took he break. And look, what he break, he gave, and look, what he gave, they did eat. And yet, all this time, he himself was alive, and at the supper before his disciples, or else they were all deceived.
0: She got him again. Jane knew what she believed, and she did a great job communicating this to a Catholic priest who had power over her, and while she was in prison awaiting death. I think she showed amazing strength and resolve.
1: Unfortunately for Jane, her execution was to go forward on February 12, 1554. She was led to the courtyard where a scaffold had been erected. On the way there, she passed the cart carrying her husband's lifeless and headless body.
0: She was carrying with her a book of prayers featuring works from Jerome, Ambrose, and Augustine. Beck accompanied her, just in case she wanted to convert at the last moment, which wasn't likely after the conversation we just read. She reached the scaffold and admitted her guilt, as was the custom for political executions. She then asked the audience to pray with and for her, but not after her death, only while she still lived. She rejected, even at the last, the Catholic doctrines of purgatory and the like.
1: She then knelt and recited Psalm 51, which begins, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to Thy kindness." Then she stood and handed over her gloves— her handkerchief, and prayer book. The executioner then asked for her forgiveness. Again, this was customary, and asked her to stand on the straw that had been spread out to soak up the inevitable blood. She was blindfolded and began to kneel, asking the executioner to wait until she was ready before he struck. She couldn't find the block on which to lay her head, so she asked, What shall I do? Where is it? It was against tradition to help the accused, and therefore— take on part of their guilt. But Feckenham did stoop to help her find it. Then she spoke her final words, Lord, into thy hands I commend my spirit. With that, the axe fell. Her head rolled, and she was dead before her 18th birthday.
0: It's a sad tale, but not one without hope. Jane Gray knew the Savior, and her story has been an inspiration to believers for almost 500 years. Jennifer, thank you so much for helping me tell this story. I love having you as part of this podcast.
1: It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, that wraps up another episode of Giants of the Faith. We hope you enjoyed it. Please send along any comments or corrections that you might have to podcast at giantsofthefaith.com. Until next time, God bless.